Welcome to the Conscious Combat Club, trauma-informed martial arts by women for women. I'm your host, Georgia, and I cannot wait to go on this journey with you. Please note that some listeners might find this content distressing. Take care, connect with your support networks, and refer to the organizations in the show notes below. Before you start listening to today's awesome episode, you might like to check out the show notes and register for the free webinar that we're running on February 2nd at 8.30 Melbourne time, which is called The Combat Athlete's Body Keeps the Score. Now, today's episode is a episode within the segment that we call fight science um, and so this is where I interview researchers about their work to make it accessible for you. In today's episode I interview Dr George Jennings, a senior lecturer in sports sociology at Cardiff Metropolitan University in the UK. George's research explores martial arts and combat sports, health and society and he has written a whole book which is called Reinventing Martial Arts in the 21st Century. So here is me trying to make that book more accessible to you because it is an academic text that is a little bit expensive to purchase and you might not have access to a university library or someone who can get it for you. Um, so for the too long didn't read of his book, listen to the podcast. So. George, we start off this book building up to the definition that you've created about what a martial art is. I'm going to read it for everybody and then I'd love to take it apart a little bit because there's a lot there. So a martial art is an imaginative, adaptable system of physical human fighting techniques designed in order to deal with perceived problems in combat and society. So if we keep in mind, um, trying to imagine that we're speaking with a 14-year-old, yes. how would we explain this definition? So maybe we want to go through kind of in order. So what does it mean to be an imaginative, adaptable system? Okay, thanks. Great question. Let's break this down, this wordy definition down. Um, essentially, imagine, if you think of a lot of martial arts, they um, do rely on the creator's and teacher's imagination. So a lot of martial arts were created with people have a, a vision for combat. So it may be, for example, Aikido, which tried to use a circle, adapted um, techniques against a sword, for example, swords, and used it for um, unarmed combat and to be more of a pacific or non-violent martial arts, which you wouldn't necessarily hurt a person directly through striking so that's more using someone's vision so how can we be creative and um, based on my values based on what we need to do and it could be adaptive you know adaptable because we might need to adapt the martial arts for different circumstances and um, for example new regulations or perhaps when it becomes a it could become a sport it could move into a kind of a health field so it could be a form of exercise or movement for well-being it could also be something for uh, you know, social kind of what we say integration getting people together um so martial arts can be used for many purposes because they're so rich in technique and so rich in movement and methods mm. do you think that <clears throat> yes. is that adaptableness intentional so it's is it do you think it's that there's a person or group of people who are thinking i'm going to adapt this system so that it is you know better for creating community or i'm going to adapt this so that it becomes a sport or is that something that happens naturally or as an afterthought 
I think it's probably the second bit. It's probably generally an afterthought because any founder of the martial art probably wouldn't perceive it to be the way it is today. It's often when mm. they pass away or they age and the, the, the control they lose, maybe they actually relinquish or let go of control of the martial arts and the next generation or the generation after that. They probably wouldn't imagine the kind of politics and infighting that sometimes happens in martial arts groups. At the same time, how people might think, actually, I'm going to take this and use it for things that you're doing, for example, the trauma-informed martial arts. So maybe the original founders of a karate style or kickboxing or Muay Thai, or they would never have imagined it being used maybe for uh, women um, who experience domestic violence. But other people in later generations can because they have imagination based on their experience and their observations. And that links to the later bit of the definition of the problems in society. You know, mm -hmm. that we have different problems or, or highlighted problems that we have words for them as well, like trauma, which we probably then perhaps they didn't have this kind of words um, hundreds of years ago. Well, they may have, but they may not be in, in the, the forefront of people's minds. And um, is that why you use the word perceived problems? Like, what's the difference between a problem and a perceived problem? Yeah, that's good. So perceived is something we then we have the intentional aspect of it. So um, the founder or the innovator, so someone who creates maybe a style from a martial art or adapted mm. system, normally perceives it to be to, there's a problem out there that we need to adjust to. So maybe there's a, something for martial arts, for example, for people with neurodiversity. So how can we adjust or adapt this? Now we know more about neurodiversity with autism, maybe HD and things like that. Um, than we did say 30, 40, 50 years ago. I perceive this to be, you know, a problem for the learner. I mean, society needs to adapt for the people because there are always going to be people with differences. We can then, and perhaps they perceived it because they themselves have, have lived with that or those in their family or their friends, so people in their, their circle, inner circle, should we say. Oft, often martial arts is quite personal. So people adapt things because they are, uh, you know, maybe they're they have the same gender or they maybe they're the same nationality or ethnic group where they hail from a certain ancestry where they, they feel connected to that and they perceive that as being important. Yeah. It's so interesting too how it relates to combat. You mm. can see when you get into studying different martial arts how the the founders or the idea is to address a specific problem, you know, mm. like jujitsu is to address the problem of fighting one person, mm -hmm. maybe yeah. not multiple people, other styles are more focused on multiple attackers, but in one-on-one -on -one combat, they might be less effective or whether it's with a weapon or without a weapon or, you know, overcoming certain problems within um, a rule set or like, you know, capoeira problems within what they were allowed to do and not allowed to mm -hmm. do. It's definitely. fascinating. It is definitely really good examples there, I think. Um, yeah, because the combat's so complex, isn't it? Because you could have weapons that are short or long, uh, projectile weapons. They could be um, on the on the ground. It may also depend on the culture in question where they, they accept grappling on the floor. And some martial arts are based on kind of honor culture where you hit someone, knock them down, that's the end of the fight. And other cultures are going to the floor is, is almost expected. Um, so definitely, I think it's the combat. Almost then, now we know there's other martial arts created, and other martial arts might be created to counter that, or that another style that is aware of this exists. There's other style existing, so it has to factor that in and adapt again. Yeah. yeah. And in the definition, you specify physical human fighting techniques. Yes. Why did you include physical? Okay, thanks. Because um, I know there are debates about, for example, video games being a martial arts or a computer game. So, which of course they're very enjoyable, and they could be educated. You could learn things from video games, and they can inspire you to actually uh, take up uh, a martial art. 
Uh, but I have had a conversation with other martial artists and a lot of them dismiss the idea that they are martial arts and therefore the, the players are martial artists. So when I was a kid, for, actually I, I played uh, martial arts games before I, I practiced martial arts. So in primary school, my friend and I used to play Turtles and then Street Fighter. So we did play martial arts related video games. And then I took up martial arts a few years later. Um, but I'm pretty sure I wasn't a martial artist, <laughs> you know. So the physical aspect was emphasized that you're actually doing martial art with your body. Although, of course, you can visualize and use imagination. And um, we know from a safe sports psychology, this could help for your performance. You might think about doing a technique if you're injured. Definitely there is that. But you can only do that because you've had that physical basis of the doing the technique. And then you can go hopefully go back to it. To, you can resume your training. Uh, physical training and movement so again that links to the latest chapters on movement as well the importance of movement in martial arts yeah and i mean this book really looks at ways that martial arts can address problems in society through the body it's a very embodied journey that i think you take the reader on where all of the themes at the end of the day the thing that they have in common is that they're doing something um with the body so the first thing that you talk about is, you know, this idea about art. I was actually going to ask you this last, but I think the order that you had it in the book is just bang on. It makes sense. Oh, okay. So uh, we talk about martial arts um, versus combat sports. Hmm. And maybe there's a spectrum between martial arts that are arts um, yes. and sports. But is there a line? Where is the line? Is it more spectrum based? Can can we explore that a little bit? I yeah, think it's fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Um, I know there's there's a lot of um, acronyms used. That we, I remember in your your training events, the MAX, um, so martial arts and combat sports. Um, this acronym is quite popular these days. And sometimes another, I think the French, they got combat sports and martial arts. Um, so um, so the terms show there's probably is a difference because people are thinking about them and we have these t these words. Um, but at the same time, I think there's um. Yeah, definitely a spectrum is probably a good way of looking at it or a continuum. So, for example, I mentioned karate or say, well, you could say taekwondo. So people could do taekwondo as a martial art uh, for all their life and um, learning the focus on maybe on the patterns and the values and the traditions and the, the language and all the kind of um, aspects of Korean culture, perhaps that expressing it as an art into the body. Or you mm -hmm. could um, kind of strip that away and, and focus more on the fitness, the conditioning the, and the, maybe a short um, career when you're relatively young, maybe 20s and 30s no more really than 40 probably um, and your competitive high level competitor as an ath most athletes are in westernized sports so and then the olympics and the kind of the ranking system so so you could but you could then also then change from a sporting career to then resume a martial arts journey later when you're older so it's not that you you just you're, you're a combat sports person that's over you can move in between both of them and you might even be doing both so you might be doing an you know, it might be an amateur boxer but also a, a tai chi practitioner or a capoeira practitioner and I, I know people can use both there's two different vehicles but some because one might uh, participants talk about stepping off a vehicle so you could be on the sporting vehicle for a while but you may then go on to another vehicle in your, your journey through life um, and one of the things in the book i mentioned was the um, longevity of martial arts is that you should be able to practice it all your life so for example painting or playing a musical instrument or poetry or these kind of arts you should be able to do it into your 60s 70s 80s depending on how you like long you live but even possibly your 90s etc but and, and martial arts, many of them can be adapted and they're intended not to have a retirement point because it is a lifelong practice. And um, whereas, of course, sports, most of them have a, a necessary retirement point, even though there might be some masters, uh, for example, tournaments. There may also maybe about bodily damage. So if you carried on, say, boxing, full contact, 
all your life so how do we know that it's bad for the brain so like rugby and other other contact sports as well there's more research now on dementia and alzheimer's and um, concussion so the impact of concussion on your long-term health but at the moment there's no cure for so it could be quite dangerous so by doing the combat sports and sparring and fighting very regularly and get full contact you could have end up having some damage whereas other you know, if you're doing some pattern or movements kind of base system a more cooperative exercise where there's no direct hit on the brain then it's more likely you can sustain that and that's that's more of the arts kind of spectrum of martial arts and combat sports yeah it's so interesting and i think a lot about questions like this through the lens of the work that we're doing at the conscious combat club and if i ask like well are we a martial art or a combat sport and I really think it's so contextual because on the one hand, I talk a lot about learning kickboxing through the lens of it being a sport mm. um, and intentionally avoiding the self-defense applications mm. in most cases, particularly because we're not wanting to go into scenarios for the potential that that might have to be triggering or overwhelming mm. for somebody. Yeah. And you could definitely make the opposite argument. Mm. So then thinking about it as more of an art, though, because we're also not sparring. We're not training it to ever compete in the sport. We're training mm. for the sake of honing a set of skills, like having the, you know, the most satisfying roundhouse kick where it both, you know, looks powerful and feels powerful when it makes contact um, with something. And, and that's why I think it's, like, different on a different day. And it's so mm. fascinating yeah. as, like, someone who's trained in, you know more the art style so in karate and then in you know more sport where you're going through cycles as a professional athlete cycles as in you know preparing for a competition having the competition resting is probably yes. you know the the classical cycle yes. yeah I, I don't know how i conceive myself and the work that i do yeah i think it's really interesting i remember your biography you started off in karate didn't you then in muay thai and is it brilliant brazilian jiu-jitsu these days so you've got I think arts that do have a competitive aspect, but they are they have a history of them or precursor, you know, previous versions that were more on the art level. So Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu came from Judo, which came from Jiu-Jitsu. Muay Thai would have been trained for the, the military and to guard the king, the Thai king. And so it has a history of being probably more of an art. And, and there's still elements of that which you can, that would now is it to be adaptable and to change. You don't have to just go down this pure sporting route based on a certain set of rules. Yeah. 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 I think so. Yeah, well, that's what gets you thinking. Thank you. Hopefully, the definition helps you think. It starts debate and gets people thinking, reflecting. It doesn't have to be set in stone. And it may, you know, who knows? In ten years' time, it might be. I might revise it and then adapt it myself because with, with new learnings. Yeah, and I think the the more time that I spend in complex concepts like things related to the martial arts, the more I look at things as a spectrum. Even in terms of techniques, I think it's really easy to have like a black and white answer like when this happens you do this mm -hmm. um but of course most things in our societies exist on a spectrum and are a little bit more in the gray mm -hmm. um you know a little bit of column a a little bit of column b or answers like well it depends if mm -hmm. you know it depends what your opponent's doing it depends what yeah. you've been doing leading up to that and how much energy that you've got it mm -hmm. depends on what the goal is of the technique in this particular case depends on the rule set that you're competing in um which is more tiring for the brain not to just have one answer you know yeah. you know to learn yeah. one thing you've got to learn yeah. hundreds of things and apply sound reasoning to you know the ideas about why you're doing things but it is fun 
Definitely. And it keeps us learning. Because if we did have everything in the box ticked very quickly, we've probably finished our martial arts training in a few years. But because we're still mm. learning to adapt, you know, the roundhouse kick, could it be a sweep? Could it be actually a block? Could it be a, a way to develop your hip strength and control? Could it be adaptive for people with balance issues? And you could start playing around with this technique all your life rather than say it's only for this. Yeah. 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 I love right. the other or one of the other problems in society that you look at the potential for martial arts to help address is what we term sedentariness. So mm. our tendency to have moved away from accessing the full range of motion of our bodies, yeah. not just that we spend too much time not moving, but that we spend so much time in a static posture that too often is sitting at a desk or on a chair or in a car um, and how that can lead to musculoskeletal issues. So issues with our bodies, our bodies break down because we're not using them to their fullest extent. So what are martial arts movement systems? How do they help address this issue of sedentariness? And can you give us, or can you explain that with a couple of examples? Yeah, sure. Thanks. A very important point there. So then, yeah, we definitely know that people are sitting for too long in certain areas or or even maybe standing is probably too much in, in a static way can be also bad for you. Uh, martial arts in themselves have a lot of movement, but they also have some stillness embedded. So especially those with patterns or forms, you may need to start in a standing position, they finish in a standing. So it indicates that standing is important, being still, but also then moving through this and and blending. So I think martial arts have a range of interesting motions. So you go forwards, you go backwards, you go sideways, you go up and down, you twist and turn, there's spirals. And each martial art may emphasize certain techniques and, and directions of motion and principles. But within that, within the breadth of martial arts, um, you have lots of different ways of moving which can help people access those things. So for example, you could have, even if you are set based on a desk-based job, you might have, um, and you'd be typing on a computer, there's lots of hand ex wrist exercises from different martial arts. So you might think the Chinese martial arts particularly use a lot of animal kind of techniques, which could be adapted for health. There's not necessarily to, to fight with, but you could be using like a, a claw or you could use like a kind of hook kind of position like in Tai Chi. And you could work with, you know, bringing those fingers together, and even that you're holding this for 10 seconds. So you, you're doing, you're making a, yes, yeah, a static motion. You could also use dynamic motions. For example, now I'm opening and closing my hands. Rapidly, this is also using Tai Chi. We also learned this one in, in Shalam, which I, I did. But you could do it more in a fixed position, stra straightening out the hands, opening and closing fists. And you can do that for many minutes. You can do it above the head, you can do it to the side. So martial arts have lots of warming up and loosening exercises for the body. And they try to you know, work with the fingers, the, all, all the joints, all the points, shoulders, hips, maybe even the kind of rib diaphragm might be spoken about. So some classes might be talking about the lat, the scapula, the lats. So you start to become more aware of your body and think, how can I move this? And it might even be micro movements, very, very small movements where you're just getting used to adjusting the shoulder. Others might be very macro, you know, larger motions where you're circling down, touching the floor. And, really, and of course, that can be adapted according to the person's needs and their, also their, their potential. So some people may be, um, for example, in, often in a wheelchair, perhaps, or in, perhaps in a position where they, um, or they might be uh, some partially sighted. So movement can be adapted to their needs and their environment they're in. So during COVID, for example, maybe people more restricted, martial arts still have the potential to be trained inside, even though they might be in a larger hall typically or in a ring environment. You could be doing it in your kitchen and perhaps you only have to step once or twice because you haven't got much space. But as long as you're stepping and moving, that's the most important thing. Um, and in terms of systems, there are some innovators who have created, who have a martial arts background, who have mixed martial arts with say yoga, um, and free training, the body weight training and other calisthenics and those kind of things. Um, 
Edu Portal is one example, his movement culture. Um, he has a background in capoeira. He's also studied other martial arts and traveled uh, around the world, say to China, to look at Bagua and look at other arts um, and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So th then they've also trained martial artists to help move them move better. So people like Conor McGregor and others like that, um, Gunnar Nelson also trained with him. And then you've got um, Cameron Shane in the United States, who's um, a background in Taekwondo and Karate and, and more kicking arts and also Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So he's, he works with yoga and other kind of animal, animal motion um, exercises, such as the lizard, the crawling exercises on the ground. And they help to really develop the, the human in, in all its planes. So on the floor, face up, maybe face down on the side and uh, jumping, leaping, crawling, rolling, all these kind of motions that humans can do. And both of them would say, even though they have their differences, what I found, <laughs> they, they, they would agree that humans are, are the best movers, really, that we, that we are. You know, all the things we can, our potential to, to move is, is, is amazing, which is probably why we have so many martial arts out there, whereas animals will fight in a certain way. Like a bear will fight in a certain way, a lion will fight in a certain way, humans can say, okay, I'm going to go to the ground, I'm going to jump, I'm going to do a flying kick, I'm going to do a spinning kick, and none of the, no other animal can do so many things. And then that's our potential to move. And of course, we only fight, maybe you never fight at all, and hopefully you never have to fight, So, there's, but we always have to move every day. And and that's why becoming developing a human being through movement. So I think martial arts are one of the best vehicles, but it can be added on to other things that focus on possibly more static and different types of dynamic motion. Nice. It's a really good overview. Thank you. Thanks. Um, the other thing or one of the next things that you speak about is um, self-help. So this idea or not this idea, but this reality where a lot of martial artists have actually gone on to write self-help books that might be for an audience of martial artists or non-martial artists hoping to um, gain inspiration or guidance in terms of what to do next in their in their lives what do you think are the positives and the negatives of learning self-help from martial artists or past martial artists okay really good question and um, i find it interesting that the people you know because anyone can write a self-help book and um, there's no necessary qualification so it could be in terms of the risk it could be um, a bit dangerous if you're learning it just just exclusively learning from a book and relying on that to guide your whole life but if you are already you do have you already say well back with this metaphor on a vehicle you're learning with a qualified instructor in a martial art the book could supplement that so it could talk tell you about maybe diets or sleep patterns or hygiene and so a lot of these self-help books talk about cleaning your house looking at yourself um you know clean, almost cleaning them cleansing the mind as well if, you know healthy thoughts make sure you think in a healthy systematic organized way that um you're polite to other. You don't talk, for example, don't talk behind people's backs. For example, be you know, so have some good advice for for life. I think having read the various books for for that chapter that I wrote. Um, but maybe if you do focus exclusively on that, um, you may be missing out on the interactive social elements. Um, and some people, you know, say that self help is a it's a bit ironic because you are relying on a book. You're not really helping yourself. You you you're seeking help of a book written by another human being to um, get advice whereas that maybe you actually spoke to that person had a dialogue and a conversation it'd be more personal because they're they're writing very broadly very sometimes quite vague manner and that's talking about people they know things they've experienced is good but then it doesn't come to your experience so you don't have a conversation with someone about what you've tried to what didn't work or did work for you and maybe they could also learn from you as well it's not just a one-way ticket so to speak so uh, whereas martial arts you sometimes you can create things or do things that the teacher might think oh that's quite interesting i might try that so it's, it's more two-way dialogue. Uh, I think you can you can find when you go out there and meet people. 
Yeah. It's interesting. I can't remember actually now if, if you wrote this or somebody else wrote this, but I have definitely read recently that um, the number one predictor for if someone was going to read a self-help book was if they've recently read a self-help book. Okay. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe so, it wasn't me, someone else, but it sounds really, that sounds great. Yeah, I'd agree with that. <laughs> so there's this idea that um, people who read self-help books don't just read a self-help book and then are helped. They continue, they continue yeah. to consume that type of content. Yeah. And that I am not throwing any kind of shade because I'm one of those people. I love to read books like that because yeah. I think it's very rare that you hear anything that's groundbreaking that you're like, oh, my God, this has totally blown my mind and I've never heard anyone conceptualise life like this. It's yeah. usually little reminders. Um, and, again, as human beings, we're always framing our lives through confirmation bias so usually we're reading books and when someone says something we already agree with so oh yeah that's a good reminder and someone says something else you're like oh that's kind of like pointless why would anyone do that or you know or you could find some reason for it i'm often up on my high horse like oh, actually research shows that that's a bad idea it doesn't fit my narrative about what i think self-improvement you know things that i want to bring more into my life hold and i don't know that that's unique to martial arts that's definitely not unique to the martial arts based self-help books that probably yeah self-help um across the board but i do sometimes grapple with this idea about self-help books that really have a strong focus on discipline mm -hmm. um and i definitely wonder through my work how where discipline fits in of course there's i i think i do agree with the idea that creating some sort of a structure and having some discipline then gives us the freedom to be creative and that's certainly true in terms of making sure that our base needs are met you know having shelter and having food and you know you know going to work regularly or finding a way to earn income that doesn't harm anybody else and things like things like that in terms of discipline. But I think discipline at being the centre of everything is leading to kind of um, an overriding of our ability to listen to our bodies and to um, rest and to, you know, consider what other people might be experiencing and be more in community. I think it's, it, discipline is quite an individualistic pursuit. Yes. Um, so I... If that's what I wonder about the martial arts self-help books. Did you notice from reading a lot of them, was there like a strong emphasis on that discipline piece? And what's your opinion about it? Yeah, I think there's a definite emphasis on the um, in individual discipline. So the problem is it's very individualistic and it reflects our westernized culture. So, so my book is primarily about the Western content, how martial arts, especially East Asian yeah. martial arts or aspects of them, have been adapted or reinvented through, say, for reconstructed for the Western context, and it obviously suits the Western mind to think about the self and the individual, self-growth, self-discipline, self-confidence, self-esteem, etc. So mm. it, it can be great, but it does take away the social aspect, and it can be quite selfish. So people start thinking, oh, my time, my discipline, they're very disciplined, I've got to get up at this time, I've got to do this. Oh, but you, if someone says, oh, in your family or your friends, could you help me with this? And, I'm moving house or I'm doing, no, no, because I'm, I'm working on my back then or I'm doing, you know, doing my core and that, that's my, you know, abs day or something or whatever it is. You can, can be quite restrictive and very obsessive. And I, you know, I probably lived that myself when I was younger and my friends were like, let's go out. And I'm like, no, I'm, I've got to go to the gym or it's fine. It would help me keep active and develop, you know, the strength and whatever. But maybe you can be too obsessed with, I only go out, I only, I've got to eat at this time. I've got to have a snack at this time. And, and it kind of links to fitness magazines as well, because I used to read Men's Health a lot when I was a student and I'm very obsessed. I've got to have um, you know olive oil on my 
tomato because it reduces the risk of cancer. My housemates used to laugh at me. <laughs> Probably I was a bit eccentric, but I became very obsessed with this advice. And, and people do take it literally. And you said self-fulfilling prophecy. And you, you think, okay, I'm confirmation bias. I'll read more things. And you start to accumulate these magazines, accumulate self-help. And then also makes you feel maybe um, not always constantly dissatisfied with yourself because there's always something to improve on. And that's another thing that self-help research has found that it, it can be so very self-critical and it can actually create maybe even sense of depression and anxiety because there's always something wrong with your body. There's always the, the, the books always say about your weight or about your breath or about your hygiene or about your relationships. You have not enough relationships. You have not this. There's always something wrong with you. You've got to deal with. Um, so that's another issue with self-help books, I think. Yeah, yes. fascinating. Let's turn our attention now to one of our community's favourite topics, the use of martial arts as a way to address some issues that people might be experiencing with their mental health. Um, so in the book you talk about trauma-informed martial arts and you, you do use that language. So how would you define a trauma-informed martial art? Okay, so it's a martial art that's been um, adapted, again, imagined in, to have a different purpose. And it's focusing probably less on the problems in combat, or there will be that, but more, probably a little bit more emphasis on the problem in society. But the combat problem may be adaptive. Because you mentioned earlier about sparring, and when we had a chat earlier about, you know, do you spar, do you do the self-applications with, um, say, the women who have experienced trauma or living with trauma? So it's really adapting a martial art for a group of people, often a specified group of people that have shared a, a common issue or event, maybe. Um, for example, it could be domestic violence, or it could be people living with anxiety, or um, maybe um, people with agoraphobia, people come afraid to go outside and meet people. Um, and then what happens, the trauma, we'll go back to that actually, it's probably like a shock inside the body and mind, it's kind of in your whole being, based, from my understanding at least, very limited understanding, it's based on maybe an event that has been um, kind of lived and interpreted and, and, and retained inside yourself. So it's kept inside yourself, maybe through tension, through um, nightmares, through um, sweats whatever there's, there's some kind of expression of this in in the body typically and in the mm -hmm. mind and, and emotions it's, it's mental emotional physical in many ways a holistic um, issue based on how an event has been lived and um, maybe two people have the same event but one may be traumatized and one might not be so it could be the same family but some people have been traumatized by things that others didn't really worry about but they had another trauma traumatic experience elsewhere in their life Okay, so the now there's more awareness that trauma is, many people are traumatized. There are some estimations that very high percentage of adults, for example, in, in say the United States or Canada and those kind of countries where uh, Gabor Mate, for example, who's a, one a Hungarian expert in trauma who's based in Canada, has given a large percentage estimate. Others maybe may vary. There's a lot more books out there now as well about trauma, like the wisdom of trauma. So is it, is it, you know, can we learn from trauma, for example, it's a well-known book. Um, and then the trauma-informed martial arts, they're using martial arts to focus on those populations or people who have maybe gone through this and would possibly um, maybe struggle or have some issues with going to a regular martial arts group where people say, okay, just grab this person or touch this person on the chest or now we're on the floor, imagine this. And, and this trig triggers maybe uh, memories of a bad experience where they may have been attacked or maybe they had a childhood abuse or whatever it is. And this is something that you've got to adapt. You've got to teach in a more sensitive manner for them using certain language and certain systematic ways to more gradual and gentle for those people. So they don't get, um, maybe it doesn't make things worse really, because it could be easily, um, the trauma could get worse and they could have more psychological problems based on that. Yeah, do less harm than yeah, do exactly. good. Yeah, I think so, definitely, good motto. Yeah, do no harm, at least you try to do some, some good. 
but we try to i think the trauma reform martial arts try do no do no harm try not to try not to create new triggering memories and try not to traumatize or re-traumatize people hopefully they will keep it up the martial art keep active benefit from the movement benefit from the social interaction and a new identity a new potential identity for them a range of identities that are out there um and the flexibility martial arts offer and the learnings from other cultures they could learn about culture they can learn about history from martial arts hopefully yeah and then what about a therapeutic martial art okay so the therapeutic martial art may uh, it's quite a close relationship to the trauma informed i would say because then um, it's usually focused on a particular population or group so it may also be a physical uh, difference that people may have uh, it could be for uh, children with uh, sort of learning difficulties or differences and um, it could be so adults who are, or older adults maybe for example who have a risk of falling so judo for example has been adapted in spain the adapted yep. utilitarian judo so that's be useful if you think of the bowing of judo so the, the japanese bow of course i'm mean, you do it much better but you know it's, it's very you know it's formal it's controlled it's very mindful of the motion and of course the tying of the belts and um, those kind of things that use, use the, the fingers and the control of the things they may have lost a little bit they may not be able to write so steadily with the handwriting and so this this might help these kind of um, these skills which you may take for granted in martial arts no oh, i'm just bowing i'm just tying my belt let's get to the training now but for them those basic aspects or sitting in the seizer or sizer position, the posture, <clears throat> that's quite hard for an older adult. So be able to actually fold your, your legs. Um, and uh, sorry, we went on change window. Um, change, you know, fold your legs and, and control the ankle um, flexibility. That's really important to have that lower body kind of control and, and flexibility and strength. So martial arts like that, Tai Chi is one of the most studied ones. So it's been adapted and often associated now with older adults because it's gentle and it can be progressive and um, accessible but other martial arts like karate who often see as more explosive and, and harder martial arts they can be used for older adults as well because they have a, they're developing a certain type of explosive strength a certain level of contact which may help bone density for example mm -hmm. so yeah so martial arts are going to be adaptive for all these populations and it can be therapeutic in the sense of it's yeah it's not necessarily an official therapy because it's fairly early days but it has a few therapeutic benefits to helping people feel better about themselves maybe benefiting their physical fitness and, and health um risk, reducing risk of falling and uh, enhancing confidence and making new friends and again, loneliness is a major issue in society so if you work go to class two to three times a week you're making remembering names helping for them working on the memory remembering names of may foreign language uh, for them the techniques and um, that helps the brain as well so learning new, new terms which may they start to forget words or forget people's names and faces they can start to try and learn new things yeah, yeah. <laughs> i i am so in like absolutely enchanted with the world that we have now where there's so many ways you can have a career in martial arts that's meaningful in in a different way right i i think i've probably people who listen to this podcast and heard me say this so many times but i just think making the one percent one percent better so working with someone who's already you know a really good fighter a little mm. bit better at fighting for the purpose of winning fights mm. just feels like not the you know i don't want to say meaningless but it pales in comparison to something like you know improving somebody's bone density and meaning mm. that you know they're less likely to have a fall and even if they do have a fall um 
they're less likely to fracture. And I think now that there's more awareness around these type of modalities, martial arts has also moved away from um, this idea that it's something that you would have a day job and then you would train and teach, you know, in a rented hall a couple of times per week. I think now more and more we're seeing people who are able to carve out a pathway into a specified clinic or a clinic that runs I think in the future we're going to have a clinic that's like, you know, this time we run sessions for Parkinson's and this mm. is our osteoporosis group and that, you know, an exercise physiologist who's running it and so it's claimable. You know, in Australia we have Medicare, so if it's a program like that, you know, you can claim it through the government healthcare system. Yeah. That's not here yet, but I think it's coming. Okay. Um, in, in terms of that the martial arts being listed on there, mm. you know, and as that research continues to build up, it becomes easier and easier to make that argument to, you know, insurance companies to say this is this is something. And I think for for people who are at that point, like the the new relationship mode, I suppose. I feel like everyone you meet in martial arts has this one time in their life where they were like uber obsessed to the point where it overtook everything else. You know, they didn't have much balance in their life. They were like training, studying tape, watching instructionals, like planning their training, meal prepping so that they could have food to go so that they could train more. And like that was it basically, like everything revolved around it. And knowing at that point where you're looking at how am I going to make this thing that I now want to have so deeply embedded in my life stay in my life mm -hmm. that the the options are no longer just you take an extreme gamble at becoming a top athlete and hope mm -hmm. that you don't get injured in the time that it takes to become a champion and hopefully you can monetize that and not end up with brain damage or, you know, long-term um other long-term injuries mm. that you can go through and be like i really want to help this population and i think the work that i'm doing can contribute towards that i just think it's like it's unprecedented and it's so beautiful mm. like it's so wonderful not just that we have these interventions but also mm. there are all these new career pathways for people to stay involved in the martial arts you know martial arts academics i didn't know yeah. that was a thing yeah. um, <laughs> When I was when I was a kid, I certainly wasn't thinking that like that that's a possibility. Mm. Um, I don't know that I could do what all of you are at my amazing um, being able to just read and and write all day and conceptualize that the the volume that you do as an academic would be. I don't think it's still my my ambition, but it's cool for kids now to be like, oh, there are people who are doing this. It's a thing. Yeah, definitely. I think you've got to, as they say, you can't be what you can't see, isn't it? And I remember I was inspired by uh, uh, when my undergrad dissertation, I went to a library at university and there was a book on, uh, by Philip Zarelli, the, When the Body Becomes All Eyes, about a South Indian martial art called Kalari Payat. And it was an ethnography, so a study of a culture where he, he went to India, he lived there, he studied it, he learned the martial arts from scratch and became a, an apprentice instructor. And, and, for, and, and interviewed lots of different teachers around the country. And for me, I was like, yeah. wow, I'd really love to do that. I'd love to become a, a martial arts researcher. So that that was enabled by knowing there was someone out there who'd done that before. And now there's a lot more examples of that. Uh, you, you know, we go to the Martial Arts Studies Conference in the summer, you'll see, you know, a hundred or so, maybe, you know, or dozens at least of people who around the world who are studying certain martial arts, some of them very really in-depth, some people a broader perspective. And um, a lot of people are still very passionate, but it, it reminded me of, um, 
I was actually reading it, actually a self-help <laughs> listening to self-help books sorry back to self-help but actually Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, Be Useful book so again you might think the bodybuilding is, is a discipline it can be seen as a bit selfish because it's about the body your own body your own physique but he from that he you know he transferred into an actor then into a politician the governor of California and a firm hit that platform and his confidence and his charisma and things he developed in bodybuilding he was able to help you know thousands if not millions of people even during the, when he wasn't the governor during the pandemic and help um, distribute medicine and, and uh, kits for example PPE kits for uh, medical practitioners and so those things that he used in his uh, philosophy was be useful so again it transformed from the athlete and uh, young competitor to someone who's using their wisdom learned from that journey so I think martial arts you can definitely later in life you might think of being a scholar because you've got the knowledge and you've read a lot you've, you've witnessed a lot and you might or you could just I think what you're doing is great though because I think you're bridging gaps between the academic side and then the practical side and you're getting the, the academic voices to platforms we don't normally go to and uh, to younger voice younger listeners potentially as well yeah. yeah i love asking so what it's my favorite question ever you know if somebody's like gonna throw a theory out there or explain something i want to know like well, so what what does that actually mean in practice how does that work for somebody to be able to use i think it's such a valuable question to be able to translate things back and it's been like i've been so privileged to have relationships with you know with yourself and with alex and you know with a few different people where i've been able to feed back and say like this paper was actually really useful um haven't really looked so much at this one but you know i really enjoyed this part of it and i'd like to see more of like you know this aspect where it gave clear actionable things that was really helpful you know as a as a practitioner because of course um that's the whole point of research definitely and yeah, yeah. someone interprets it thank you yeah you never know how people are going to read and so i find out that the most fascinating thing and fun the fun bit of my of writing is that there when you get here for people like you who's oh do you like to be on a podcast would you like to talk about this and you've read bits in a different way than i expected or you've interpreted or honed in on something um and that's great because everyone's going to read something in a different way and they'll highlight things that they like or, or perhaps they perhaps not relevant for them right now at least um, yeah, so that's one of the, the unexpected, you know, expect the unexpected, I think, in this in the world of research and writing and martial arts, because you never know who's around the corner. Uh, you know, you meet someone in an event or a competition and, and like, you know, I don't plan too much because I feel that, that everything flow, goes with the flow. I think there's another philosophy. Don't, don't be too disciplined. So I must do this 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 year, set these uh, six month goals, because I don't know next, the, the second half of the year, I might have an opportunity to work with a colleague on an exciting project or to co-author a book or something. So leave things a bit more open. I think. Hell yeah. Yeah. Let yeah. the universe intervene wherever you get into that. Yeah. Um, now, that's kind of the first half of your book where you look at these applications and then you pivot into some other ideas, which I had never heard about until I read this book. So, one is um, another acronym, HEMA, Historical oh, yes. European Martial Arts. Yes. Um, I suppose there are probably other countries that are, are studying more like their historical martial arts. And I think um, particularly as an Australian, this was really fascinating to learn about um, our culture in Australia. Of course, we have one of the oldest living cultures in the Indigenous peoples, but we um, exist in the colonised country that was really recently colonised. Um, and there hasn't been in Australia, for example, at least not that I'm aware of, a study of Indigenous martial arts that's come mm. to the forefront. But over over with our, you know, friends in the in the UK, there's this rich history of, of um, 
martial arts that were, you know, perhaps with or with weapons or was there were there examples historically without weapons or is it very like sword heavy? That was my um, impression. Yes, it seems to be quite sword heavy and weapons heavy, although there are the wrestling um, some of the manuscripts show wrestling and unarmed combat. Um, mm. It goes down to dagger and sword, even the combination of sword and dagger. And then there's some wrestling uh, techniques where they were used, maybe they didn't have their weapons. But it's primarily is, um, I mean, there are different modalities. Some have, have classified, like Daniel Jacquet and his team of researchers in Switzerland and Europe have said that there's the uh, HEMA, historical European martial arts, with armor, so um, on horseback. And then there's armor off horseback, so just two people fighting. And uh, there's also people uh, dueling with without armor, with weapons, and then there's obviously unarmed combat. So, and some people might classify certain wrestling, ancient wrestling styles. Um, so, in, in Iceland or maybe um, in Scotland and in, in Highland wrestling, maybe an element is historical in the sense it has an, a, a long history of technique and it's continued to this day. But others would say the things that have died out are more for the HEMA. So, HEMA is typically the reconstruction of lost martial arts that maybe okay. lost over time or they they did evolve i mean that we do have their um descendants you know for example boxing we have boxing we have fencing we have wrestling mm -hmm. that's three elements where if you go strip them back in time or go back in time people would have be able to use a sword they would have been able to use their hands and maybe take people down or even kick in some older uh, western boxing actually did include some kicks and headlocks but this evolved mm -hmm. changed over time so it was a bit more complex they were more kind of complex uh, like a complete like a martial arts you might associate with it was less rule bound so he is really popular in, in the Western world. Um, I know it's also in Latin America and other, I mean, even Japan also has HEMA. So even though they have their own martial arts, there seems to be an interest in the European thing and maybe helped by Hollywood and, and, and knights and, and the idea that mm. you can train like a knight, really. You can learn all the techniques and sort of the, the long sword, double-handed long sword, which is a, the most iconic uh, weapons in, in HEMA. But you could also learn a sword and dagger. You can use shield and sword or a sword and buckler, which is a small shield. So the, often you, you can learn a, a great variety of weapons and as as um to say developed by certain fencing masters um often the italian and german traditions in the 13th 14th century up to 15th century or slightly later sometimes and they were called fight fight books or manus or fighting manuscripts um, and people start to interpret them back to the inter imagination interpretation of thinking how they would you know because they wouldn't have didn't have any videos then so just it, pictures and drawings and some brief descriptions and so mm -hmm. people say oh this is how you start to work with these plays which are sequences um, mm -hmm. so you do this this and often it's four five six steps and then you get into a place where you counter so thrust and then you'd be able to to hit them or, or to strike them and disarm them and then it, and it also it extends to sparring so him is now also a, a sport because there are competitions and rankings and and those kind of things so and the governing gets some types of governance in emergence as well yeah so that's one example how, of yeah sorry <laughs> how do you compete in HEMA? because would um you not get very injured fighting someone with a sword okay good question there's um there, there are synthetic swords they're made with you recycled in a plastic um, mm -hmm. material and there is a protection so you wear them typically um head gear um, which mm -hmm. protects the face and the side of the head. Sometimes the, they also protect the back of the head. Throat, often throat protection, um, a chest um, protection as well. So then you're also the wrist and hands. So the hands and wrists have to be covered. Um, sometimes your groin guards are encouraged because that can also, you never know where it could go wrong. Um, yep. And some people even use knee and um, shin protection because not necessarily always um, inspiring. You might be able to hit the leg um, or you might be able to do, you know, try to take some more trips someone. So often they mm -hmm. look a bit like Robocop, you know, like this kind of an armoured person. Who's um, 
yeah, and, and it can be very hot. One of the challenges of Hema is the heat, I think. It's an interesting topic. How you fight with all this armor on and this protection with your probably your uniform or t-shirt underneath as well. Mm. Uh, and they're, they're, it's regulated that you've got to have the right equipment for the right weapon. So if you have a certain sword that, that, that has a that force of so many newtons, then this helmet should be able to take those. And there's also then synthetic, well, there's them blood, there's steel, but it's not sharp steel. So you can fight with steel swords. But they are not obviously sharpened; they're blunt. So you can hit someone; you're not going to actually kill, take their head off or kill them. And the helmet should be strong enough to take the impact. However, I would say there's going to be some research later. I think I believe there's still some potential risk to the brain. So it's not maybe as bad as directors boxing and MMA. Mm. Um, but we know from American football and other things that you know the hits to the head, even with a helmet, kind of an impact, and people you know get hit with larger weapons, full on. So it'd be interesting seeing Hema back into that element. Can can it be sustained? Are there risks? People, some people like Keith Farrell, who's a, a Scottish instructor, who he starts to show that we need to wear maybe wear a rugby scrum cap underneath the helmet. So there's so it has to be adapted now with these modern considerations. There's a there's a risk in society, a considerations a perceived problem in society. So this perceived problem is the safety aspect now, and then mm. concussion. So it's it's going to be adapted more readily, I think yeah it's so interesting because i feel like i recoil more i think for the like the brain injury somehow mm. being like hit in the head with a mm. weapon yeah. seems like i've been punched in the face so many times but yeah. like getting hit in the head with a weapon just makes me feel like oh, that feels um oh i mean of course i'm much more aware of the concussion risks now than i was when i was in my youth and competing in mm. in muay thai but um yeah, it's so interesting that it's it from from reading your book. My impression was that it's it's growing in popularity. Mm. This um, like I think, and I I say this in the nicest way. I think it's a compliment to be a nerdy sport. I think a lot mm. of martial arts are quite nerdy sports to be yeah. honest. But it's like an exceptionally nerdy thing where you've got like your sword collection and you're like mm. reading these historical things and you're reading mm. history books and you're like cross referencing things and it's got some you know similarities to. Um, like you know people who do all of the olden day reenactments and um yes. you know things like that and they think about yeah. what kind of material would they have had access mm. to and how do they make things and um just like some cool little nerdy sport which i, I on, on activity i would think more hobby hobby than sport even though you can compete yeah. in it feels like hobby but yeah what are, what are some of the the benefits of studying a historical martial art do you think yeah i think that you've touched on a really important point i'd like to write about in the future is the idea of the embodied geek because there's one a guy interviewed who's from another hema school and he is an mm. academic so he has certain terms like embodied for example so he said these are geeks but these are embodied geeks so so they are people who are situated in their bodies who are very in touch with their body even though they play games and they board get board games video games they watch you know, start Star Trek and all these kind of things, Lord of the Rings marathons, and they, they are kind of the, the geeky aspects. I think one aspect is that this kind of um, martial art or hobby is accessible to what you might call a geek, you know, someone who's uh, self-identified as a nerd or a geek because they may not do a normal, a regular sport like uh, football or soccer or Aussie rules or whatever, you know, whatever sport's popular in the country, or cricket, they might associate that with more kind of the jocks or the sporty types of athletes. But they do feel that they, you know, because they they're fantasy, they can live out the fantasy of childhood or youth that they watch. Some of the people that mentioned them in the group I studied, uh, Highland, they watched Highlander as younger. So they were inspired by Highlander and they were inspired by Game of Thrones. And so this kind of fantasy aspect, they can live out this fantasy. So I think Hema could allow you to live out a fantasy. And if you do still live in this 
kind of you, you say this universe this is brilliant it gets you active it gets you meeting people that maybe another sport wouldn't enable you to do um mm. at, the, at the same time it helps you think about cultural heritage and history that help you mm. think critically about sources and ideas and also be creative because the hema is one area where you could possibly create or, or develop a new way of doing a technique or for example disarming someone's sword and wrapping around the arm and taking out the sword and i remember doing one partner exercise with another classmate and he managed to do something and wrap and he had disarmed my sword in a quite creative way and the teacher thought oh, i haven't thought of that so he'd created a new way i know i'm quite aware the brazilian jiu-jitsu is one example where the te new techniques might be created so it's not so set in stone um, it, mm. there's lots of gaps in the literature and, and then the surviving manuscripts where well, there was a bit of gray area did they, what do they do before then or how did they quite get is there another way of doing that what if you fight with a, a left-handed person because most of the books were written with a right-handed person in mind based on the historical society where being left-handed was stigmatized still based on the devil or the religion aspect so being left-handed myself i found a lot of people thought, oh how do we do it against you so people have to adapt to that person that we now can use both sides because our society accepts at least in the western society accepts that more now yeah so i think those are those are, for me are not fairly obviously beyond the the cardio i mean it's great for you know health and well-being cardio and and yes. um, i think and then it expands to yeah i think hobby is a good way of looking at it because i found there's a there's hema but there's um it, it, it's an open space the gates are open to other ways of doing things they often do uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. They do a game board nights. They do movie nights. They, so there's a lot of so, a social world where they live a certain life of leisure, uh, allegedly mm. life where they live to have fun. You know that's good. Yes, yeah, so that's great. They enjoy life. You know, I think he was part of that, but they they open their arms to other people to join them for the movie nights, made with partners, and play Netflix at the same time and have jokes about these films. So yeah, I find that that was the, the lockdown really showed that highlighted what they are all mm. about. I like it. It's interesting. I feel like I, I always describe myself as being very agnostic across martial arts that I've like dabbled in most, most styles, but I've certainly never done anything like that. It'd be interesting to try. Yeah, sure. There probably yeah. is something new. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know whether it's much of it. Oh, I had heard of one group in Sydney here. Oh. Um, that was actually like a queer run group. I thought there was like okay. queer emma and i was like that is probably one of the coolest things i've ever heard yeah. um coolest yeah. nerdiest things <laughs> yeah oh, cool yeah there seem to be what i've listened to the podcast about hema there seem to be groups that are run female run on lgbtq plus friendly there's lot obviously there are some hema groups that are at the same time it's not all wonderful because there are some groups that are more on the right really wing cool. slash neo-nazi groups who are very nationalist very purist about european heritage you might think there are does attract some people with some fascist tendencies sometimes because they're quite militant it's a way of thinking this is what our ancestors mm -hmm. did these are warriors and we and any martial art has this, this kind of historical tent can attract those types of people as well sometimes uh, but, yeah, but yeah, yeah. i've been fortunate to have trained and studied a group that wasn't like that but uh, i've been told about the other ones who say <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean like as as with anything yeah um now uh we about to run over time can we have 10 more minutes or do you need to run oh yeah it's fine actually i'm lucky to, to be free this morning so yeah awesome yeah. well that kind of brings me to my next question which is about the role that martial arts might play in decolonizing our ideas and also how we might decolonize martial arts um so for 
we might start by explaining that as a concept. Um, when we think about decolonizing our thinking or decolonizing something. Can you just explain to people who might not be familiar with that what that means? Again, explain it like we're 14. Okay, sure. So that the, to understand decolonizing, we probably need to understand uh, colonizing. So colonizing was a, a, a process that's still going on in many ways. It's um, where the empires, typically European-led empires, but others as well, have expanded mm -hmm. the territory, often overseas to different continents. You might think Australia, Georgia is a, is a British colony. So Britain and Australia are really far apart, but Australia and the British uh, obviously occupied the coast, lots of move inland and then take away land from the indigenous people and maybe um, possibly ban certain practices or make it very difficult for them to continue their, their way of life, um, mm -hmm. maybe through agriculture, uh, maybe through language, banning a certain language or religion that's seen as yep. a maybe dev kind of devilry, whatever it is and imposing mm -hmm. a one religion state or one language state and also a westernized view of the world so what what the world is like maybe renaming places so i know that australia is very well known for that so lots of british names for you know nelson this or you know wellington that and you know lots of the generals and, and little male kind of names as well of the certain leaders of military might of the british empire mm. they have you know captain cook street whatever you know captain cook so we have these kind of words where they name these roads after these people who are associated with the colonization. So decolonizing mm. is kind of questioning this and seeing this as a bit of a problem because it narrows the worldview into one worldview, which is typically the modern Western rationalized view and doesn't look at maybe other worldviews and religions and, and uh, forms of knowledge. Um, so martial arts, as we know, that they are global practices around the world. So they may come from Thailand or China or might come from Cambodia or, or maybe also Latin America and Africa and lots, lots of continents. There are different ways of knowing about the, the combat, but also knowing about the body and knowing about health and medicine, about family relationships, about ancestry, about history. So by studying the martial arts, you often are tapping into an older or more worldly or alternative form of knowledge. Um, so they can be a gateway to thinking about this. Um, so decolonizing is a process so we, we slowly strip away these you know, maybe processes that have started hundreds of years, maybe 400, 500 years ago or more, and start to question about, like, is there another way to look at this? Uh, is there another way to look at the body and my health and my breathing and my posture beyond the Western medical view or beyond, um, you know, perhaps the way of looking at the universe or looking at relationships? So I think it can be useful. Not everyone, um, not all martial artists say are doing this actively. They may not be thinking about it that way. It is an academic term, but it is a, now people are more conscious of this through the history of the country and, and the, how they were colonized. So martial arts are one, one I think, a popular way of doing it because they're, they're so widespread and active in many towns around the world, towns and cities and even villages, that there might be ways of, of touching that. And maybe yoga might be another example, meditation or other things that have non-Western origin might help us uh, approach this. Yeah, and then in terms of martial arts, I loved hearing about the example that you spoke about in Mexico um where i could be wrong but what i can remember is that they, they they didn't have like an old style to do like the hammer equivalent in mexico because that had all been lost through the yeah. pra practice of colonization and so they were imagining what a mexican martial art that was you know pre-colonization might have looked like and practicing that um as an act of of decolonization so could could am i right in that and also could yeah. you say more yeah definitely yeah so there are several mexican martial arts were relatively recently invented because the founders are still alive um so i <laughs> i was able to when i lived in mexico i studied shalam for one year so i was 
I did a study where I became a member of so ethnography of, of mm-hmm. Shilam. Um, but there are, I, the, as I came back to UK, I started to realize there were more out there. So I started to write about them as well. So all of these martial arts essentially are inspired by the, the pre-Hispanics, so before the Spanish conquest uh, cultures, such as the Aztecs, the Maya, the Zapotec, and other kind of civilized expressions that we call Mesoamerica, Middle American civilization with the pyramids and the different deities and ideas and mm. their wisdom and knowledge. So these, again, the, with the Spanish conquest, the colonization, colonizing process, they wipe, often wiped out the warrior caste or they ban, ban them from using certain weapons and drums and things associated with warfare, dances, um, which basically meant the warrior arts, fighting arts, you might call them martial arts, whatever you want to call them. So some people argue that they were fighting a warrior arts and then the martial arts are a bit more modern, which is a fair understanding. So well, these martial arts have a more idea of developing the person uh, helping a better society so they're not really for war per se so they're more for developing human being self shared cultivation really so you cultivate yourself you cultivate each other you help hopefully make a better society out there mm. uh, as and they learn um indigenous terms so there are still some indigenous languages in mexico a large number actually and mm. many of them have techniques that they learn for the names of animals for the numbers so again, this is the idea of this gateway. So there's a gateway for you to learn, say, about the Maya language or the Nahuatl language or others. It's a gateway for you to think about the, the religion slash philosophy or scientific and the scientific elements of this. Um, and it's a way to look at the alternative kind of history and perspective on on the country and where it's going and, and be proud of, of their indigenous heritage and roots because there's still a, a lot of stigma attached to being indigenous based on that colonization process where Europeans are seen as the white Europeans are seen as superior. The Catholic religion was in many ways imposed and, and spread very rapidly. Um, other forms of religion and ideas are seen a bit more primitive. Um, so therefore, the, these martial arts help them feel proud that they're descended, or they might be descended from those kind of Aztec, or they're living at least they're living in a country where it has this roots. Because also they may be descended from immigrants or migrants as well. Yeah, it's so fascinating to me. And we're kind of going full circle to thinking about things being less black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's such a helpful frame to have when we think about what are things that I'm doing almost on autopilot, because that is what is embedded in um, my culture, which is Western culture, which is mm-hmm. so widespread. Mm-hmm. Um, so like an example more more recently for the work that we've been doing was going and facilitating trauma-informed kickboxing in El Salvador Um, in thinking about trauma-informed, this idea of of, um, trauma-informed, and you gave the same definition, right, is talking about an event um, Mm -hmm. or it could be many events that is in the past Mm -hmm. that is impacting us in the present. And that's really this whole concept of trauma Mm -hmm. is that it's something that happened in the past but is impacting us in the present. Mm -hmm. And we don't have a lot of space for people who are living with ongoing trauma, people Mm -hmm. who are living with ongoing violence, even Mm -hmm. though there are people living with ongoing violence in every country. We think mostly about people who have been freed from that violence and are now moving on with their lives Mm -hmm. and it's really interesting to think about um that concept uh but also things that you you know we might take from for example salvadoran culture that could be valuable to bring back into the work that we're doing and rather than saying you know the way that we do things is the way to do things Mm -hmm. thinking about um you know where there where there could be value, or you know, talking to people and seeing, um, like yeah, what the benefit is of embedding other things. So, uh, like an example in in our work has been this idea of Salvadoran time, 
which I think every a lot of not every countries but so many countries have the same Brazilian time Thai time. I think <laughs> in a martial art they'll be like, oh, if you do Muay Thai they'll be like, oh, they're on Thai time. If you do Jiu Jitsu, I'll say, oh, they're on Brazilian time. Mm. In El Salvador they're on Salvadoran time. Mm. In Indonesia they have Indonesia. Like it's it's a it's a really common phenomenon outside of western culture i think this idea yeah. that you can be late um yeah. and i think that's really interesting to bring into martial arts because they're often very regimented and my experience has mm. been you know if you're late you're punished with push-ups and then you're allowed mm. to join the class and things like yeah. that which i just detest because i'm you know people are, are i think allowed to be human and make mistakes mm. and i think it's very rare that people are just disrespectfully showing up late because they don't care about everybody else it's mm. much more commonly something something happened or you know yeah. i'm just doing my i'm just doing my best and so that's been something that's been really fun to bring back into our world being like how can we be more on salvadoran time for our clients you know yeah. come late it doesn't matter um we just want you to show up i mm. i hate the idea that because we've got these rigid rules around time then people might realize that they're going to be late and decide not to come because they don't want to be the late person mm, definitely. so yeah that's what i've been thinking about lately relating to potentially decolonizing our ideas and i'm still very new to it and, and also very aware of my position as somebody who benefits from colonization in australia and there's a lot of conversation about that as we Depending on when this podcast comes out, maybe we're about to hit the 26th of January, which um, officially is Australia Day, but okay. broadly known as yeah. Invasion Day. Mm -hmm. um, and interestingly, is the day that we celebrate is the day um, of a very significant massacre uh -huh. of Indigenous peoples here. Um, very contentious issue mm -hmm. in, in Australia today. And so, you know, a very topical thing to think about. Um, I think so valuable to learn just more about other ways of doing things. And if we can do that through martial arts, like you say, that could be a gateway for doing that. Yeah. Um, I think that's so, so valuable, especially being able to bridge like ideas like that outside of academia. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Definitely. I like that. I can relate to the, the time aspect because a lot of my classmates joke that I'm late. And if they come later, so I, I can't be later than George, can I? So I, I, I'm i a bit like that. You know, usually five or 10 minutes. I, so I'm sorry, I'll be 10 minutes late. And I come in, I feel embarrassed myself, but it's not a bad intention, I think, a lot. But for me, it's the most important thing. I'm constant. I'm always there every week. Um, whereas yeah. some people are on time, but they don't come back the next week. So I think, that, but it's not, you know, I, I agree. I can relate to that. And maybe it's part of me living in another culture for a few years as well, being more relaxed. With, more flexible with time and um there's a perception you know time is a major thing to think of how we perceive time and are we time do we have time is something as an enemy treated as an enemy as well uh it's mm. taken so seriously and then that's back to self-help but a lot of self-help books about managing your time micromanaging every hour every second trying to make you a productive human being you know all the time it got to achieve something every day you got to do this rather than maybe enjoying and taking your time to just enjoy finish your meal and more you know not, i only got half an hour for my lunch and i got to wolf it down because I'm going to finish my emails I think it's going to teach us a lot about about life really and to live better a better richer life yeah that was another thing that I took away from your book is the value of doing things that are more moving meditation based and and certainly more slowed down like the tai chi um what did you tai chi um but that's not what it's how you're supposed to say it or uh, uh, tai chi chuan 
Tai Chi Chuan. Yeah. Chuan, yeah, yeah, it'd probably be wrong. Again, Chinese like is a Mandarin's very hard language, so I'm probably saying it wrong, um, but I'm saying it in a Western way. But most people say Tai Chi because it's easier to say. But Tai Chi Chuan, I think, is the the way to pronounce it. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's but, important to be willing to fail at speaking other languages. Yeah. So many people have to be willing to try and fail at speaking English. <laughs> yeah, exactly. try a few a few little words, and it's fun. I think so. And it humbles you. I think martial arts helps to keep you grounded and humbled because you're learning words that you probably you have sorts of self-doubt about your ability to do a technique correctly and the ability to pronounce a technique and understand its root and, and the history. You think, oh, I'm not, I might not be right. I think the martial arts help you say that you're not 100% right all the time and mm. we can be more grounded in that way. Now, if anybody wants to go through and read this book, to be honest, you've got so many spoilers. We've pretty much covered everything that the book covers, except for we didn't go go through um, McDojo's. Um, yeah. But otherwise, we really spoke about most of the book. So you're very welcome. George is very generously basically giving you this um, unprecedented access to his um <laughs> I think musings over a, a very long career in martial arts academia, really, that's what it feels like this book is kind of a culmination of things that you've been mulling over for a long time. Yeah, thank you. I think the book allowed me to bring things together. That often I've, before, it's my first book, by the way, so I've only written articles and book chapters in other people's books. So I thought it's about time yeah. I have a book. And then the series editor, J.A. Mangan, who's a sports historian, wrote to Paul Bowman, martial arts studies kind of guy, and he afforded it to me and a colleague, Alex Shannon, who you mentioned, and I thought, oh, I'll take this up, I'll, this opportunity. So I was really grateful to I'll give a shout to the series editor, Professor Mangan, for his, his support as well. Um, and yeah, the book for me is, is it enabled me to go detail into something, put things together, different topics in one place. And so you've got things like self-help and McDojo's and and the people's also people's in-depth uh, case study stories as well. So I like to hit, hit I, and I found that was, it's different. I mean, some there are some criticisms that is a lot going on in the book and maybe it's not a, a golden thread, but I think this this talk has enabled me to say that it is all con interconnected and maybe the right, hopefully the writing expresses it. Um, you know, there's people's life is, is framed by ideas of self-improvement, about movement, about maybe trauma and considerations of their childhood problems. Um, and it's also considered about how martial arts can be adapted for different needs and how they need to adapt to their students or those around them. So I, I really enjoyed uh, writing. The, it was a challenge, but I, I'm glad it's out there and people are reading it and reviewing. So feel free to get in touch with me um, if you'd like to send me an email about the book or to discuss things. Um, it's with P published by Peter Lang, which is an academic publisher based in Germany and Switzerland and around the world as well. Um, uh, there is, of course, academic books are quite expensive, so hopefully it will get a bit cheaper for uh, wider members of the public. So universities can get it for their libraries. And if you have a local university, you might be able to access it for you. Um, but otherwise, we can be in touch. And I can send you um, other articles. I have a, a, some open access articles which are free to read. So um, you can have a read of, you can look at George Jennings, Google George Jennings Martial Arts or Google Scholar is another way of uh, type of uh, elements of Google engine. And you can find out um, George Jennings Martial Arts. You'll find quite a lot of my publications. You can download the PDF for free. And feel free to get in touch. My email is uh, gbjennings at cardiffmet, all, all one word dot ac dot uk ac being academia and uk being united kingdom so that's hopefully you'll have that so i look forward to hearing from anybody and yeah th thanks for listening and watching <laughs> yeah and we'll put all of those details in the show notes so you don't have to pull out your pen of course um 
but highly recommend and I will also say that a lot of even non-university libraries if you request a book they'll get books in they're so happy for people to be borrowing books from libraries at least that's been my experience oh, with cool. local libraries here in um Australia so uh, you can go to universities or you can go to libraries to try and get books in to, to make it accessible um, if you want to continue doing doing the deep dive of the read. But my hope really was to bridge some of that gap a little bit between maybe people who don't have access to funds to be able to purchase a book and they really can't get access to it. There's no audio book yet. Um, so that this podcast hopefully will give you a little bit of an, an overview of the book, which really is, like you said, it's an exploration about some alternative applications to martial arts and the ways that they can better um, people in our society. And like I said at the start, I really do think the common thread is that all of those things have some um, happening in the body. They're very connected mm. um, to to the body. And I know you do have a, a, a great paper about embodiment um, and martial arts that was written with Alex Channon, which yes. I'll also put in the show notes. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, I think that but the, the body, and that's probably why there's the physical aspect in my definition as well, is the centre of the definition. It's kind of subtly placed in the centre, but it's uh, crucial that there's the body there, as we had discussed at the beginning of the interview, so the podcast episode. So definitely, I think the body, for, probably, I'm always looking at the martial arts with, relating to how people use their bodies and connect to other bodies and think about the body. So that's probably one ongoing theme the last 15 years of, of writing about it. So hopefully for years to come. Yeah. Oh, I will actually shout out. We're going to run a webinar very soon. So it's going to be on the 2nd of February um, at 8.30 a.m. Australian time. I'm not sure what that time is in the UK, but there is going to be a recording. The webinar is called the, in brackets, combat athletes, close brackets, body keeps the score. So the body keeps the score. Um, Bessel van der Kolk's work and the thought about how trauma is stored in the body talked about all through the context of martial arts. So how that impacts survivors as they show up into training spaces, what that means in terms of bodily disconnection and dissociation, how martial arts can be more harmful than helpful in that case, but then also how they can also be helpful. Um, oh, sounds brilliant. It's gonna be fun. Great, I'm gonna try and look at my diary in the time and then see if I can join you, sounds perfect. I've started to read the book myself, so. If you're really nice oh, to see how you're taking it. Highly recommend yeah. the book. Absolutely yeah. make sure you read it. Be very timely to read it at the same time mm. as our as our stuff. But yeah, I'm pretty sure it's an awful time to do our morning for the UK. So you might have to do the recording. I'm sorry. No, no problem. The recording is good because you can look back at it and pause it and take notes and things. Yeah. It's great. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Georgia. Thank you for being part of the club. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to get in touch please refer to the information in the show notes. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider leaving us a review or subscribing on whichever platforms you use to listen or watch the podcast. The Conscious Combat Club acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands in which we work, live and play. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. We'd like to say thank you to Nari for the beautiful song Shape Me heard at the beginning and end of every episode. If you'd like to connect with Nari, you can find her on Instagram at Nari the Saga. Don't gotta tell you what my name is, I don't gotta explain it. Walk in the room, hear a boom erupting like I'm famous. I'm here shedding shells, I'm shameless. I fear nothing, no complacence. 
talk to Many tight ropes with no hope So I became this poster they hold over All the heads of trauma holders You don't need to know my history I move boulders Atlas shrug Cause I lifted the weight above his shoulders No pretense of defense Move first like chess soldiers This goes deeper than empowerment Cause huh, I'm the one to power it Physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring If I can't change the scenery, at least I change perspectives No longer isolated, but elevated and selective Darkest places become beautiful spaces This is where rage meets patience Meets power meets gracious Meets we're so glad you came in the feeling is contagious When you the walking impact of intended bad intentions When you the manifest enough collecting all they tensions You the soul and body hold it all and still remember But I'm a work in progress testament to all contenders Forgot what it was like to have control over self Forgot what it was like to be the one in charge Forgot in my reflection I could see all my wealth Forgot that with my bare hands I break all these bars Barriers and obstacles They can't cage me They can't chronicle all my, all my experiences And reduce them to appearances When I was truly beaten Gave myself clearances to fall down Mess up and get myself back up I'm not looking for clovers Cause I don't believe in luck Damn you were badass I heard them say it clearly Why thank you very much I know now I'm not weary Of what's next for me Cause I expect to see Growth like I was planted Watered, fed, and bloomed To be the positivity And accountability Knowing they won't step If I'm the agent of my agency I think I found my voice again, huh? I think I found my voice again, huh? I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're the end where I begin. Boundaries, I know them well. Take a breath and meditate. Who is she? I know her well. Now I get to open gates. One, two, one, two. I don't need your permission. And if you get uncomfortable, then use your intuition to know that I won't stay where respect is ever missing. And everything I do, that's me making decisions. It's truly underrated the value of self worth. Forgot that I was rich from the moment of my birth. A penny for my thoughts, no, really, you can't afford it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it, huh? Oh. 